everybody. This is Joseph Newgarden, winner of the 107th Indianapolis 500, and you're listening to Pit Pass Indy, presented by Penske Truck Rental. IndyCar fans, it's time to start your engines. Welcome to Pit Pass Indy, a production of Evergreen Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Martin, a journalist who regularly covers the NTT IndyCar series. Our goal at Pit Pass Indy is to give racing fans an insider's view of the exciting world of the NTT IndyCar series in a fast-paced podcast featuring interviews with the biggest names in the sport. I bring nearly 40 years of experience covering IndyCar and NASCAR, working for such media brands as NBCSports.com, SI.com, ESPN Sports Ticker, Sports Illustrated, Auto Week, and Speed Sport. So let's drop the green flag on this episode of Pit Pass Indy. Welcome to this week's edition of Pit Pass Indy, presented by Penske Truck Rental. We are proud and honored to bring Penske Truck Rental to the show as the presenting sponsor of Pit Pass Indy. We will continue to cover the entire NTT IndyCar Series community, and our new partners at Penske Truck Rental will help us tell those stories. Pit Pass Indy, presented by Penske Truck Rental, was at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway for the month of May, culminating with the incredible 107th Indianapolis 500 on May 28th. The largest crowd since the 100th running of the Indianapolis 500 in 2016 attended this year's Indianapolis 500. The 330,000 spectators filled the grandstands and packed the infield, especially in the snake pit. They witnessed an incredible race that had more than its share of thrills, chills, wild action, and a few frightening incidents. Because of wild racing and late race crashes, there were three red flags to stop the race in the final 15 laps that set up a frantic and controversial finish. After the last red flag, it set up a one-lap dash to the checkered flag with last year's winner, Marcus Erickson, in the lead pursued by Team Penske's Joseph Newgarden. Erickson tried to unleash the dragon with his draft-breaking move to try to break the airflow to Newgarden's Chevrolet, but Newgarden was able to make the pass for the lead on the backstretch on the last lap. Then it was Newgarden's turn to unleash the dragon of his own, diving low out of turn four to protect the lead. Newgarden took the checkered flag by just .0974 of a second, the fourth closest finish in Indianapolis 500 history. There were 52 lead changes, the third highest total in Indianapolis 500 history. The record is 68 in 2013, followed by 54 in 2016. To experience the Indianapolis 500 in person can be a life-changing moment. On this special episode of Pit Pass Indy presented by Penske Truck Rental, we will take a deep dive into this year's Indianapolis 500, which was a big win for Team Penske. It was the first time Team Penske has won the Indianapolis 500 since 2019 and the first Indy 500 win since Roger Penske purchased the Indianapolis Motor Speedway in November of that year. We have many great guests on this edition of Pit Pass Indy presented by Penske Truck Rental, but the star of the race is our first guest. It's the winner of the 107th Indianapolis 500, Joseph Newgarden of Team Penske, who joins me for this exclusive 
Pit Pass Indy presented by Penske Truck Rental Interview. Joining us now on Pit Pass Indy presented by Penske Truck Rental, we're honored to be joined by the winning driver of the 107th Indianapolis 500. It's Joseph Newgarden of Team Penske. Joseph, how does it sound a day later to be introduced as the winning driver of the Indianapolis 500? Well, it's definitely a tremendous honor, Bruce, you know, just to, to be here at this race and to have an opportunity to compete here is, has been very special. I've been thinking about that more than anything um, this month, you know, having had the privilege to, to be in my 12th Indy 500 and, you know, to, to finally to crack it, if you will, and to finally seal the deal was, was very special, not just for me, but for everybody involved in, in my program. I'm going to throw some names at you of drivers who took 12 years to win the Indianapolis 500. Sam Hanks in 1957 took him 12 attempts before he won. Tony Kanaan in 2013 took him 12 attempts. Now Joseph Newgarden in 2023. No driver has ever won the Indianapolis 500 longer than 12 years. So in many ways, I guess you got it right in time. I guess so. I, wow. I, I didn't know what the stat was. If it, is it... Yeah, what's the max cutoff in 12 years is that? So, yeah, I, I didn't know, you know, when circumstance would maybe work out or favor us. And it's a tough race. You know, there's a lot of pressure to it. And, um, you know, everybody knows why India is so special and why it's so pressure-filled. But, to, you know, finally finally figure it out is, is very gratifying, you know, in, in more ways than one. And... Um, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's just something I never wanted to rest my career on. You know, I didn't want to be beholding to the Indy 500, but there's definitely a weight that gets lifted if you're able to win it. I don't want to say that the team flew under the radar this month, but everybody was looking at it as a battle between Errol McLaren and Chip Ganassi racing. A lot of people, for whatever reason, seem to be Overlooking Team Penske, a lot of it is the fact that qualifications here the last couple of years haven't exactly been stellar. You started 17th. The furthest back that a winning driver has come since Ryan Hunter Ray started 19th and won the 2014 Indianapolis 500. So basically, how does it feel to win from that far back, and how did you make it through the field? Well, I knew it was possible with, with our race car. You know, unfortunately, we were still not excellent enough in qualifying trim. It's been that way the last four years and we've had to field a lot of questions from everybody on, you know, what our, what our issues are or, you know, where our performance is. But I knew that our race performance was excellent. I really did. And I knew that we would have an opportunity from 17th on the grid. It wasn't a big deal. You know, even we could have started last and, and it would have been the same, you know, same program in, in my eyes. So we just methodically started the race our first stint was actually one of our best. You know, we made, I think we got up to P9 after the first stint. So we were well ahead of schedule. You know, we were we were really just banking on getting a couple people every stint. And that first stint, I could tell I had a winning car underneath me. I knew it was capable of winning the race. And that that sets the tone for the rest of the day and, and gives you confidence to, to execute. The pace of the race was very fast at the beginning. The first 92 laps of the race was run green flag conditions throughout. Does that favor a car that's fast that's coming up through the field? I think so for us. You know, we were able to really latch on to the lead group and, and get ourselves into that conversation and was plenty happy to, 
you know, see the run, thing run green. I, I think if we were going to go green all the way, it would have been just fine. You know, we were trying to work our fuel mileage and understand where we needed to be positioned in this race for the very end. And a lot of others were doing the same. And, um, yeah, it was, it was definitely, it was a chess game in many ways for, for a lot of this race. And then, you know, at the end, it just turned into a straight fight with, with the red flags. We had a month here that was very clean with few on-track incidents. There was only one on-track incident in practice and qualifications, and that was the Monday practice after qualifying when Catherine Legg and Stefan Wilson crashed in turn one, incident-free on carb day. And then we came to a race that started off the first 150 laps, looked really clean. And then after that, a third of the field was involved in a crash between there and the end of the race. Do you often see that in months where we have a clean month and then maybe a crash-filled race? Yeah, it, it can happen. You know, we it was surprising that we hadn't seen any wrecks up until the Monday post-qualifying. I was pretty surprised by that, you know, that no one had overstepped. But I thought the race itself, everyone was pretty well-mannered for the most part. It was really not until we got to the end where, you know, it it... it it got a little aggressive and understandably so, you know, that happens because it is the Indianapolis 500 and everybody comes here to win the race. And so I think you saw at the end, everybody ramp up and probably got a little bit too intense. Um, but sometimes that's what you need to be able to win here. So starting 17th, what was the team's goal? Where did they want you to be at say lap 100? Where did they want you to be at lap 150? Do you break it down that way in the pre-race meetings or how did you determine that? Yeah, roughly. I mean, you you have a you have an idea and you sketch out what you think the day is going to look like and how you want it to be. And and for us, if we could get to the, you know, we needed to break into the top ten by lap one hundred, and we needed to be in the top five by lap one fifty. And and we were well ahead of schedule yesterday. You know, we we knew exactly um, we knew exactly what we had underneath us pretty early in the race. And like I said, I think it only took about thirty laps to break into the top ten. So. Um, ahead of schedule. But if it was a normal day, I think we could have methodically worked forward that we're pretty strong at doing that, having good pit stops, you know, jumping people on in and out laps. And so, yeah, we had a plan and, and it didn't quite go exactly to our plan, but we knew we could, we could uh, be in the conversation. So once you got into the top five, now you were with the dogs that were in the real fight. And at what point did it become a real dog fight? It was really that all, all the restarts at the end became a big fight. There was no more fuel mileage to make. And so, you know, the, the first red flag, you knew it was going to be a fight and then it happened again. We got another red flag and then we got one final red flag for, for a one lap shootout. So, um, you know, I knew it was going to be incredibly difficult. It was probably going to come down to a last lap deal like it does here in Indy between a couple cars. And you just wanted to be in that conversation. You needed to be in that top two group, you know, to have a shot at, at, you know, maybe winning the race. I think if you were further back than first or second, it was going to be difficult. One of the red flags was after Felix Rosenquist, who was a leading contender for the victory, lost control in turn one, hit the outside wall. His steering suspension broke. He had no way to control the car. And Kyle Kirkwood ran into him, launching a wheel over the fence. Were you ahead of that when that happened? Or did you have any idea when you came around and saw his car upside down, how bad a crash that was? Yeah, I was I was ahead of it. You know, I, I just was passing Felix in turn one right before that happened. Um, but I didn't see I didn't see the wreck unfolding behind me. Um, so it wasn't until I came around that 
I saw, you know, what had transpired. So I was glad to see that Kyle was okay and everybody else was all right. Um, but that was the point in the race where it was starting to get, you know, very aggressive and people were doing everything they could to position themselves to win. Now, how do you describe to the average fan the mindset that comes into if you're going to be a race driver in the Indianapolis 500, you know that it can be risky business and there's going to be some moves out there that can put you in peril. How do you describe to them how you're able to compartmentalize the job you need to do and not flinching at fear? Well, you got to have an off switch for that stuff. It's impossible to do this job if you're thinking about repercussions or you know, scenarios that could potentially play out. You just can't be committed to, to what you're doing driving the car then. You know, you're, you're never going to be at, you know, the level you have to be to, to truly succeed here. So I think we're just probably built a little bit differently. And then, you know, people are really good at, at locking in and compartmentalizing, you know, different thoughts. And they, they really zone in on what they have to focus on, which is just driving the car fast. Um, that you have to be able to do that. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to survive here. But does this race emphasize that at this particular track, the Indianapolis 500 is really serious business? Oh, it is. I mean, but, you know, anytime you race an IndyCar, I think it's it requires a lot of respect amongst the competitors. And, you know, Indy is, is definitely uh, the biggest stage for that, you know, and there's always going to be risk in motorsports. But I love that about IndyCar that, you know, there's a camaraderie amongst the paddock that, you know, everyone has to have some level of respect for each other in order for us to all come out the other side. And it, it, de it demands that of you, I think, this, this sport and this track. We saw a lot of three and four wide moves on the backstretch. We even saw a couple of drivers go through the grass to try to improve positions. At what point did you really feel like, man, I haven't seen that happen here? I, you know, interesting. I haven't watched it back. I haven't seen those. I wasn't a part of them, but you know, I, I, it was so congested this year. Everybody was really tightly put together with the downforce package that I could believe that, you know, whenever you had a restart, then people were going to try and make up as many positions as they could. The last red flag of the race really had started on a restart which nobody ever really got a chance to really restart the race because the crash happened further back of the field. So they decided then at that point, there was like four laps to go at the time the green waved. Did you think at that point that maybe this thing's going to end under yellow? I thought it was possible, but I mean, definitely, definitely thought that was possible. It, it was, it was a bizarre situation. You know, I think out of all the red flags, that would have been the toughest red flag um, to end the race on because we never even really got going again. So I was, I think the crowd was probably going to be very pleased that we finished the race under green. You know, obviously we won the race, so we, we look at it from that lens, but it was just kind of a, a false restart. So I, I don't think anybody was going to like that, that sort of ending to the race. And I was really happy we were able to you know, again, have an opportunity to compete for the win under green. And, and we went green to the finish on that last lap, which was really great to see. So when they restart the race, you come off pit lane and you're not even going to get a full lap before the green flag comes out. You probably knew you only have one move to make and you better make it work. What was your mindset when they threw the green and the race resumed and it was a one lap to the checkered flag? Yeah, I just knew we had to get we had to get around Erickson at all costs. We had to figure something out to, 
you know, get in front of him and I was going to pass him as quickly as I could. You know, it didn't happen into turn one, which was probably better. I think passing on the back straight seemed to be the better place to make the move. And, you know, it was just enough to hold him off to the line. And then when you're coming out of turn four, you're using the tail of the dragon or unleash the dragon, however you want to explain the zigzag move to break his, the ability for him to draft off you. You got really far below the white line there by the pit attenuator wall. How important is timing of that? Because you've got to have that just right or else it could end up very bad. Yeah, I mean, you got to be pretty heads up. I was working as hard as I could to to break the toe for him because he was so close still. Um, but it's similar to what we've seen in the past because it's, it's necessary with this package. You know, you have to do something um, to break the toe. So then when you get the checkered flag, then when did all the emotions flow? Uh, it was pretty quickly, you know, I mean, just realizing that, okay, it's done. There's no more red flags. Like this is the checkered. And yeah, it was amazing to finally get there and, and to do it. I, I can't describe it to people. It was, it was very, um, it was very emotional and it was full circle for me. And of course you did something nobody has ever seen at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway before. You may have outdone Elio Castroneves, who always tried to go over the fence. You went under the fence, celebrated it with the fans. How cool was that? And at what point did you think maybe this wasn't a greatest idea when you were getting mobbed? I've always wanted to do that. And it, it really was special, you know, to be out there in the crowd and to feel the energy. Uh, I was just so pumped for what had happened. And I, I've always wanted to experience what that energy in the crowd was like um, from from my side winning the race. So uh, it was a blast, you know, and, and certainly halfway through it, I, I wanted to go higher up in the stands, but it looked like that wasn't going to be possible. And, and probably the best thing was to, to go back to the track. And then wrapping up here with the winner of the 107th Indianapolis 500, Joseph Newgarden of Team Penske, you gave team owner Roger Penske a record extending 19th Indianapolis 500 win, but it's his first as the track owner of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. How special is that? And what was it like when he congratulated you? Uh, it's very special, you know, just to you know, be here with Roger and to drive for him and to see what he's done with the place and how special it is here. You know, I don't think there's a better custodian for, for this speedway and everything in the Penske brand was, was really built off the Indianapolis 500. So I think it was very fitting, you know, for him to acquire the ownership of it and to make sure that it is ushered into the future in the right way. And, and, um, I think it was pretty special for him to, you know, finally get a victory here in, in that way, in that circumstance. It was a memorable victory. And from all of us here at Pit Pass Indy, presented by Penske Truck Rental, congratulations to Joseph Newgarden, the winner of the 107th Indianapolis 500. And thank you for joining us today on Pit Pass Indy, presented by Penske Truck Rental. Thanks, Bruce. We'll be right back to Pit Pass Indy after this short break. In the world of racing, Penske means performance and winning. For good reason. Since 1966, Team Penske has won 44 national championships, 17 in IndyCar alone. And last year, Team Penske claimed its Indianapolis 500 record-extending 19th Indy 500 win with Joseph Newgarden, the latest driver, to win the famed race. Team Penske also won its second straight NASCAR Cup Series championship. In 2022, Penske was the first team in history to win both the IndyCar and the NASCAR Cup Series championships in the same season. Team Penske enters the 2024 NTT IndyCar Series season 
with 236 IndyCar wins, including 34 500-mile race victories. Those are results that are tough to top. But Penske's legendary reputation for quality and attention to detail makes a statement off the track, too. When you need a truck, whether for your business or for a household move, Penske Truck Rental has some of the cleanest, newest, and best-maintained vehicles on the road. And we make it easy with personalized support from our associates, flexible reservations, and access to the top technology. With quick pickup and drop-off at more than 2,500 locations across North America, our scale and know-how will keep you covered, all helping to ensure you get the right, reliable, fuel-efficient vehicle when and where you need it. On the highways, the raceways, and every pit stop in between, Penske keeps you moving forward. Gain ground with Penske. Get a quote today at PenskeTruckRental.com or for household rentals, download the Penske Truck Rental mobile app today. This is Roger Penske, and you're listening to Pit Pass Indy, sponsored by Penske Truck Rental. Welcome back to this special Indianapolis 500 edition of Pit Pass Indy, presented by Penske Truck Rental. When Joseph Newgarden was a youngster, his father, Joey, took interest in his sporting endeavors. When his son tried karting for the first time, he was hooked on racing and began a career that took him to victory lane at the Indianapolis 500 on May 28th. On this Pit Pass Indy exclusive interview, we talked to Newgarden's father about the early days of his career and how special it was to see his son win the Indianapolis 500. Joining us now on Pit Pass Indy presented by Penske Truck Rental is Joey Newgarden, the father of the Indianapolis 500 winning driver, Joseph Newgarden. That's a term that you will forever want to cherish. What do they call that? Infamy? Yes. Yes. Yep. I think it's more like immortal fame, but very emotional because when he was a teenager, you really sacrificed a lot to help get his career started driving this from Hendersonville, Tennessee. You'd come to Indiana, the Newcastle go-kart track, the Newcastle Motorplex or Motorsports Park, I should say. That was a lot of time, effort, and commitment, but what was it about that that you saw in your son that he could possibly be a IndyCar winner. Well, you know, Bruce, it, it was really more of a job at the time. Joseph was 13, going on 14, and he'd been playing stick and ball sports for quite a while, eight, 10 years at that point. And we were thinking about getting him into a school on a scholarship, baseball or basketball, and getting, you know, an education that he'd be a doctor or a lawyer. He didn't want any part of that once he got in a go-kart. And so we looked at it from a business standpoint right from the get-go, and it was really more about, you know, putting the work and the effort in when it was required, and uh, it wasn't really as much a sacrifice as it was a job at that point. But was it also a situation where those long drives to Newcastle, Indiana, and back was really a great time for a father and son to bond? Um, but, yeah, no, it was, it, it, it was some of my favorite times of his whole career. He, he, we had a Suburban that was all laid out in the back, and he would, you know, deck out back there and have his videos playing, his Ace Fincher and other stuff, and just enjoy the heck out of that time. And uh, we had a ball doing it. When did you realize that he had the natural talent to be a race driver? 
you know, when I saw what he did yesterday, that's when it really became apparent. I mean, that, that, that was it right there. That was the, because, you know, talent takes you so far. This, this business is about, you know, talent, obviously, but all these guys are talented. What separates them are the guys that put it all together when it really counts. And Joseph's always been able to rise to the occasion when it really counts. Well, he also proved at the end of the Indianapolis 500, he was, he was very willing to stick his neck out in some spots that were pretty risky, especially coming to the checkered flag when he drove, drove down low, almost pretty close to the pit attenuator in order to break the draft with Marcus Erickson behind him. As a father, when you see those risky moves like that, what do you think? You know, it, it's, it's just part of what he does. I mean, when he goes into turn one on the outside and uh, the guy on the inside spins out, that's you're thinking the same thing. It's just, it's, it's, it's a nerve wracking business, but you let them do their job. They're the ones that got to do it. You can't do it for them. And uh, it, I, I guess just over the years, I've been, you know, programmed to just go with it. And uh, if something comes up, you deal with it when it comes up. It's his first Indianapolis 500 victory. It took him 12 attempts. Were you wondering if it was going to be something that ever happened? No, I, he, he, this was his 12th try, and I feel like he's got a good another eight or 10 tries in him. I knew we'd get one. You know, now the question is, can we get two? So we'll see. The other thing is his first Indianapolis 500 victory, but it was his 27th career IndyCar Series win which ties him with Johnny Rutherford. That's yeah. a pretty good name to be tied with for 14th on the all-time victory list. It's, it's a lot of wins. And, you know, a good bit, if not the majority of those wins, came with a Penske car, either a two or a one. And that's part of the, uh, the secret, is you got to get in, if not the best seat, one of the best seats. And with 27 cars on the grid, there's 12, 15 good seats. And uh, you got to get into one of those, and then you got you to rise to the occasion, and you got to take advantage of it when you're there. He's the first American driver to win the Indianapolis 500 since Alexander Rossi in 2016 when he won the 100th running of the Indianapolis 500. But he's the first driver from the state of Tennessee to win the Indy 500. And when you think of the racing heritage of the state of Tennessee, it's all NASCAR. But now they have an Indy 500 winner that they can brag about. Yeah, yeah, that makes us proud. You know, we're, we're not originally from Tennessee, but we've been there for 30 plus years. Joseph was born there and his sisters all grew up there. Um, yeah, we're, we're very proud of being, you know, uh, people that, that, that are very high on where we're living and Tennessee's a great place and uh, makes us proud. Who, who did you say one of Alexander who? <laughs> Alexander Ross. Oh, okay, that guy. I got you. He finished. He finished behind you. Yeah. But then again, everybody finished no, behind Alexander Joseph. Alexander is an excellent, excellent driver. That's that's really what has made Joseph so good over the years. Is all the competitors. I mean, just think about all the guys that have been in any car over the last ten years, and then the lights guys and so on. Um, from before that, it's just been the competition is what brings the best out of Joseph. And finally, to be able to share this as a family moment with all not only all of your family, but all of Roger Penske's family. They've you've become part of the Penske family in many ways. How special is that? Oh, it's it's you can't describe it. For me, I'm really on the peripheral. You know, this is Joseph's world. And we're fortunate enough to be invited inside of it along with him at least part of the time. And we just, you know, we savor it. That's all you can do because one day We'll be sitting at home watching on TV and we won't be at the racetrack anymore, but I'm gonna keep coming back as long as I can, I can tell you that. 
He's a proud papa, and he's got a lot to be proud about now that his son, Joseph Newgarden, is an Indianapolis 500 winner. That's a title that will stick with him for the rest of his life, and I'm sure it's one that will make you very proud. Joey Newgarden, congratulations on your son's big victory at the Indianapolis 500, and thank you for joining us today on Pit Pass Indy, presented by Penske Truck Rental. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Tim Sindrick is the president of Team Penske and is in charge of the entire racing operation that is owned by Roger Penske. Sindrick joins me on this exclusive interview for Pit Pass Indy to talk about what this victory means to the entire Penske Corporation and to Roger Penske in particular. Joining us now on Pit Pass Indy presented by Penske Truck Rental is Team Penske president Tim Sindrick. The team scored its record-extending 19th Indianapolis 500 victory in the 107th Indianapolis 500 with Joseph Newgarden winning the race. You call the strategy for Joseph Newgarden. It was your ninth Indy 500 victory, but just how satisfying was it to see Joseph finally get his first Indy 500 win with as much as he's really meant to the series? Yeah, you know, he's he's kind of had to, this monkey on his back just the reputation he's had and the successes he's had on the ovals. Um, I, I feel everybody's expected him to win here. He's expected to win here. And we finally gave him the tools to do it. And and uh, he, he really got it done there at the end of the day. Most importantly, it was the first Indianapolis 500 victory for Roger Penske since he bought the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And now to give him that unique opportunity to not only own the track, win the race, it was huge for him. How special was that for you? Well, for us as, as an organization, as a team, and for, for really the whole Penske family, you know, I've said ever, ever since he you know, became the steward of this place, it was something that we wanted to be sure we accomplished, you know, together and, and put another chapter in Roger's legacy. And to be able to have him start the race with the driver start your engines command with as much energy as he puts behind that and you know, he rebuilt the platform here at Victory Lane. You know, he made this place a lot younger and certainly wanted him to be on that podium at the end of the day as well. Of course, you grew up around the Indianapolis 500. Your father, Carl, was worked for Speedway Engines. They used to sneak you in here when you were a youngster into the old gasoline alley so that you could take part in this great event. Now to be part of the history of that event, You're an Indianapolis Motor Speedway Hall of Famer now. Did you ever think a kid from northwest side of Indianapolis up in Pike Township could achieve these great things? No, I I think, you know, just coming to this race all these years and then being able to, I remember the first year I came here with Roger in 2001, I thought, well, I've made it. You know, I actually got to work for Roger Penske at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And, um, you know, to, to have the, you know, the things, that have played out over the years and, and have the opportunity to, you know, be part of such a great organization and have such quality people around us. You, you couldn't, for me, you couldn't write a better script for how it's all played out. But yesterday it was Joseph Newgarden getting his first Indianapolis 500 victory. And when you get a guy who's tried so hard to get an Indy 500 win like he did, he got it in his 12th attempt. How special is that? Well, anytime someone comes to our team, you want to see them accomplish their dreams. You know, for me, that's that's really what it's become all about. Uh, yeah, I accomplished mine a long time ago, being a victory lane here. 
And when you have people that come here, you want them to accomplish their championships. You want them to win the Indy 500. And there's nothing more special for a driver than winning the Indy 500. And to do that with Roger Penske and to actually give Roger Penske his first win here, you know, now that now that he, you know, has has this place within, you know, his legacy, I think it's really special. And for me, it's, it's really special to see them achieve their goals and achieve their dreams under the Team Penske banner. I mean, that, that's what it's all about. And, you know, when you look back at the drivers that we've had over the years and, and you know, since I've been here, which is what, since 1999, like every driver we've had full time has either won a championship in Indy 500 or both with the exception of, of a very few. To see the video of Roger Penske up on the top of the pagoda watching the end of the race, the checkered flag, and to see how exuberant he celebrated. This is a man who at 86 still has a lot of life left in him, a lot of uh, energy. Just how special was that for you to, to see that video of him? Well, I honestly haven't seen it yet. I've heard about it, but I haven't seen it yet. But I've, you know, I've been with him on the pit box. I've been with him in pit lane, you know, for various wins. And, and I know how excited he gets here. And he doesn't show that kind of emotion any other way, any other time. So it's really special when you do have it and you do see it, and I'm looking forward to seeing the video. And also it was a wild celebration at your timing stand after the checkered flag came out. Of course, nobody knew who was gonna win until that checkered flag waved because of the dramatic, fierce final lap. Is that just excitement you can't describe? Yeah, I, I think, you know, the, the emotions of, of how that race finished and, and not knowing how it was all gonna turn out and knowing how hard this team has worked and how hard Joseph has worked, you know, to achieve what we achieved yesterday and, and knowing, you know, how special it would be for Roger, I think all that hits you at once. He also outdid Elio Castrodambas, who used to climb the fence. Joseph Newgarden celebrated by going under the fence into the crowd. How cool was that? Yeah, he certainly took it to a whole nother level. You know, I didn't really realize what had happened because I, I, when I walked out there and I was, looking on the fence to find the guy with the helmet on and I, I couldn't find the driver. And, and then I realized that he got on the other side of the fence somehow. And I, I, all these years, I didn't know there was a hole in the fence right there. So I guess I learned something as well. And wrapping up here with Tim Sendrick, Team Penske president. Yesterday's crowd was huge. I always tell everybody the Indianapolis 500 never really went away, but it was certainly back with that crowd that we had last year, the largest crowd that was here since the 100th anniversary in 2016. As somebody who grew up with the Indianapolis 500, how important was that to see that? Yeah, I think the weather set the stage, you know, all all week really. Yeah, the weather was phenomenal and it was predictable. And here, when you see all the work that's gone into this place and, and how much really Penske Entertainment is, is put into the fan experience, to see them appreciate that and, and show up you know, with the type of attendance that we had, not only on Sunday, but on Saturday, on Friday, you know, on poll day, you know, throughout that whole week or weekend, it was, it was pretty phenomenal. And, you know, I had the opportunity to go around in the pace car after the race with, with Joseph and Roger and, and Joseph's family. And it was the number of people that were still here and the enthusiasm that they showed for the event is second to none. And my final question with Tim Sendrick, when Team Penske wins, Everybody that works at the Penske Corporation can celebrate in the victory. Penske Truck Rentals is our sponsor. I'm sure you use them a lot, getting stuff 
to and from the race shop, to and from the racetracks. How important is it that you guys can share an Indianapolis 500 victory throughout the entire Penske Corporation? Well, when you when you know that there's over 60,000 people that are part of you know, Team Penske internally, and then obviously all the partners that we have. And we've been trying to win this race for Shell for years. And, uh, you know, we finally checked that box too. And to do it on the year where they, they brought the renewable fuel for all the cars and, and to win with the Shell car, again, you know, you can't, you can't make that up. And the Penske Truck Rental and, and Penske Logistics and that whole transportation group has, has been a huge supporter of this program from day one, way before my time. And, and to be able to, you know, put everyone together there, I think everybody takes some satisfaction in knowing that, uh, you know, there's a 19th win there for the captain. Team Penske president, Tim Sendrick, congratulations on Team Penske's 19th Indianapolis 500 victory. Congratulations on your ninth Indianapolis 500 victory that you've been a part of. Go out and celebrate, and thank you for joining us today on Pit Pass Indy, presented by Penske Truck Rental. Thanks, Bruce. Appreciate you having me. We'll be right back to Pit Pass Indy after this short break. This is Will Power of Team Penske, and you're listening to Pit Pass Indy, presented by Penske Truck Rental. Welcome back to this special Indianapolis 500 edition of Pit Pass Indy. Kyle Moyer is team manager IndyCar at Team Penske. The Monrovia, Indiana native oversees the entire IndyCar operation at Team Penske and talks about the big win in this year's Indianapolis 500 for Pit Pass Indy, presented by Penske Truck Rental. Joining us now on Pit Pass Indy, presented by Penske Truck Rental, is IndyCar team manager Kyle Moyer, team's 19th Indianapolis 500 victory on Sunday with Joseph Newgarden. You have the overall role of all the IndyCar teams. It had been way back since 2019 when the team last won a championship. As Tim Sendrick said, three and a half year drought, everybody acts like it was a decade. But in a lot of ways, how special was Joseph Newgarden getting the victory in the 107th Indianapolis 500? Well, first off, I'll, I'll agree with, with, with Tim on that. You know, it's sort of like, you know, we did win in 19. It's been four years and, and we've won again now. So it's sort of like, I don't think I really call it a drought, but, you know, if that's the way people perceive it, then I'm, guess, I'm okay with that too, if that's what our expectations are from Team Penske because we, we'd like to win it every year. But, um, yeah, no, it was great. The biggest thing is I'm so happy for Joseph and RP. And, um, you know, Joseph's had a little like, you know, mystery here, you know, again, everybody says he's on a drought for 11 years, you know, Michael Andretti was here over 20 and never won it. So, you know, he had plenty of years left to do it. Now he's got plenty of years left to hopefully do a second one, but you know, it gets it off of his shoulders and everything. So that's probably what I'm most happy about. Of course, you call the race strategy for Scott McLaughlin, but when the team wins, when a, a driver at Team Penske wins, everybody wins. So how special was this victory especially as it's the first time Team Penske's won the Indy 500 with Roger Penske and the Penske Corporation owning the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Well, I think that's what makes it even more special because, you know, the heart that RP's got behind this place, you know, and what it means to the whole family, the team and everything, and to win here, it, it makes it extra special, you know. But, you know, everybody puts in a good effort. Our last couple of years, 
haven't been excelled here. So, I mean, I think that's probably what makes the drought probably look a little bit worse. But now since we've been able to win, you know, I think it'll give us a lot of momentum going forward. We needed that sort of lift, and, and Joseph and the two team did that for us. It was never really a matter of if Joseph Newgarden was going to win the Indianapolis 500. In some ways, it was when, but he had to wait 12 attempts before he could do that, and I know that wears on a lot of drivers. A driver you worked with early in your career, Tony Kanaan, took him that many attempts to win it. What is it like when you are the caliber of a Joseph Newgarden or a Tony Kanaan and you have all these other accomplishments, but you haven't won the Indy 500 yet? Yeah, it's hard on great drivers. I mean, you win championships and races here and there, and I think, you know, I think one of the stats is is Joseph's the most um, wins for an IndyCar that finally won the Indy 500 uh, before he did. So, you know, you look at that and and sort of say it does weigh on you. I think it weighs on Joseph. I know in Tony Kanaan's case, you know, if you ask him, and I'm, I'm sure if you ask Joseph and these guys, when they finally do win, they go like, okay, what'd you do different? And he says, well, that was one of my easiest races here. And, and you know, Joseph was in control from the time we did the open test. He felt good about the car and everything. So, you know, if you ask him, it, it was probably easy today, but the biggest thing is his shoulders off. Now, all of a sudden, you know, we got to get Scotty in there, hopefully here soon next year or something like that, and then we can get them all in there. You've seen Roger Penske celebrate many Indianapolis 500 victories, but this one was pretty special because he owns the place. And from the reaction he did when Joseph took that checkered flag, you could see just how excited he was. How important is that to somebody like you who not only works for Roger Penske, but has the utmost respect for Roger Penske? Well, I think the big thing there is, is just like you aren't going to find anybody that has more heart for the Indianapolis Motor Speedway even though he owns it or anything, you know, he, he cares about this place. He cares about Indianapolis. He cares about the town of Speedway. And uh, this is what made him, and he's going to make sure it stays that way. The racing at the end, there was some people that thought there weren't enough laps left to do a red flag. What was your viewpoint on that? Um, you know, really not much of a viewpoint, you know, Um I think that's what the fans wanted every time we did the reds there toward the end. Every time they came down pit row with the cars and said it was red flagged, I heard the, the fans cheer. So I think everybody wants to see a green finish. Um, you know, I think either way, if two laps to go, three laps to go, it's, it's not an easy race to win for when you're in the lead. Uh, you got to time it right. If you ask Simon, you ask Marcus himself from last year, you know, it's all about timing. and. You know, I think it was good to have the checkered and the, you know, the green finish. Pretty bold and risky moves with the tail of the dragon, as they call it, the draft-breaking move that we have seen used here a couple of years in a row now at the Indianapolis 500. Is that move potentially risky? Because Joseph came really low coming out of turn four heading to the checkered flag. As he said, he would have driven down pit lane if he had to, to win this race. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's, I don't think it's risky. Uh, I think, you know, everybody's in control of the call, the great drivers. So I don't think there's anything risky about it. Um, it's part of the racetrack. I think, you know, that's the way you've got to look at it and, and break the drafts and stuff. I mean, people are doing that now every lap. I mean, if you look and see how close the guys run to the bottom of the track, you know, and and snake every single lap down the back stretch, they're almost in the grass. Down the front stretch, they're almost on the inside wall. They won't let people through. So, you know, that's... That's part of it, you know, and, and with the downforce now, people can enter the corners low. So, 
you're, you're constantly blocking. Um, but things will change eventually. Rules will change, and it, it'll come a different track. You're an Indiana boy. You grew up in Monrovia. You worked for the Bettenhausens. You worked for the Unsers. You worked for the Andrettis. You worked for the Penskys. But what was it like for Kyle Boyer on race day to come out here at the drop of the green flag and see how huge this crowd was at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway? Uh, I don't know. I mean, after the COVID years and stuff like that, especially the COVID year, we had nobody here. It, it, you know, you appreciate it. Um, you know, it's a spectacle. I had. I know a lot of people came here, some friends of mine that have never ever been to the Indianapolis 500, and, and they come here, and it's a event. It's it's a bucket list item. It's it's one of the top ten things for people to do in their lifetime. Um, and until you're here, it's hard to explain. But being from an Indiana boy, it means special for me for sure. I asked Greg Penske this earlier if he thinks yesterday's crowd will be part of a trend upwards and he actually thinks it could be like this every year from here on out which would basically be the indianapolis 500 that you and i grew up with yeah i think so and, and you even go back farther than that i mean i've never seen so many people here on fast friday in a long time uh, on pole day it was exciting um the shootout was exciting even even the warm-up on monday i couldn't believe the amount of people and even during the practices having said that i mean you couldn't ask for a better month than May weather-wise. Um, the weather was perfect the whole time. There was no rain. Um, everybody could come out and enjoy it. At the same time, they've done a lot of to the facility to make it easy access and what they've done for the fans. So I think everybody enjoys it. And I, I only see it getting bigger and bigger for sure. You know, I'm not going to be the one to tell RP, but maybe he needs to put some more grandstands in because I'm sure we can fill them. We had a very clean month leading into race day. We only had one incident in practice, and that was the Catherine Leg Stephen uh, Wilson incident a week ago on Monday. But the race had a lot of crashes, and that's something that's... It seems like when we have clean months here, race day can be a lot of crashes. Yeah, it, it sort of follows that trend where if it's a clean month, then there's crashes in the race. If it's if it's a crashy sort of month in practice, then the race seems to be cleaner. Um, I think a lot of it is, is just the way you have to drive the cars now. You have to keep the speed in the car. You can't make them comfortable. Uh, you make them comfortable, you're going to sit middle pack, back of the pack, and, and that's no fun. And then also everybody on these restarts and everything, a lot of this is from restarts. Um, that's where you can make up a lot of time. Um, at the same time, you've got some young kids in here going up. You've got some older ones uh, hanging around. So, you know, it's a good mix, and, and everybody wants to win. So, Kyle Moyer, how many Indianapolis 500 victories is this for you? Uh, this is my ninth. So, fortunate enough, I've been on some really good teams, really good drivers through my career and everything. So, yeah, but I'll take 10 if we can get it next year. So, if Roger Penske's goal is to win 20 Indianapolis 500s as a car owner— you could end up getting your 10th that way. So that's a pretty good double combination there. Yeah, no, um, yeah, I wouldn't mind getting my 10th. Um, at the same time, I wouldn't mind getting 11, 12 or whatever. But in the same time, if it never, never happened, you know, and I retire, I'll, I'll be happy I just got nine. I'm happy I just got one, you know. I'll take one. I'll take nine. Uh, is is a joy past that. It's a dream. So, Yeah. Kyle Moyer, IndyCar team manager at Team Penske. Congratulations on Team Penske's record-extending 19th Indianapolis 500 win. And thank you for joining us today on Pit Pass Indy, presented by Penske Truck Rental.
Thanks, Bruce. Marcus Erickson nearly became the first driver to win the Indianapolis 500 in back-to-back -back years since Elio Castroneves in 2001 and 2002. He was the leader at the white flag, but lost the lead on the backstretch when Joseph Newgarden passed him. Newgarden went on to win and Erickson was second, but the Chip Ganassi racing driver tells me in this exclusive Pit Pass Indy interview why he didn't agree with the red flag situation that left just one lap of green flag racing to decide the Indianapolis 500. Joining us now on Pit Pass Indy presented by Penske Truck Rental is the second place finisher of the 107th Indianapolis 500, nine hundredths of a second quicker, you would have been the winner for the second year in a row. It's been 24 hours. How are you processing that? Uh, I'm feeling proud of our of our effort, of our uh, performance. I don't think we could have done much more. I really felt like we gave everything and we put it all out there. And then, you know, I if I got the chance to do it over again, I don't think I could have done anything different or we could have done anything different. So. I'm proud and happy over that uh, performance we did out there yesterday. Talking to you after the race, you were obviously upset with the fact that the last red flag went out when there weren't really enough laps left to do a full restart. Now that you've thought about it, obviously you probably stick to the same things that you said yesterday. And, and what would you like to see done to uh, make sure that... There's some, at least there's some consistency to that rule. Yeah, I mean, I stand by the, the words I said yesterday. And I think, you know, the same thing happened three years ago and it was a different decision. And that sort of decided that race. And now this decision decided this race. And I don't mind finishing second. I think Joseph is a very worthy champion. Team Penske are worthy winners. And then, you know, I'm, I'm happy for them. And, and I think they deserve the win. But um, yeah, I, I thought the way we did it was maybe not uh, it would be nice to have a system in place to, to know what happened in these scenarios because that's when they didn't call the red and let us run and it was two laps ago and then they called the red, I just thought that was maybe not ideal. But do you think that IndyCar has put themselves in a difficult position now that no matter which way they rule it from here on, it's going to upset one group or another. No, but I think that's what we have to discuss maybe in the offseason and put a rule in. If it's a red flag on this or this lap, this and this will happen. Because, or, you know, so there is a consistency. So we know, because now basically the, the race director and IndyCar can decide whatever they want. And then it's hard for, for us drivers and teams to know what decisions will be made. And obviously lead on that last restart with only a one-lap shootout, you're a sitting duck and it's almost an impossible mission to try and win it. So from your point of view, when Joseph was able to make the pass on the back stretch, what were you attempting to do and what happened that he got that slightest opening that all he needed to, to get by you? Yeah, I mean, I think the drag of the cars this year with the aerospecs were making it harder to lead for sure, and we saw that all month. And... Uh, yeah, I knew it was going to be hard to, to keep him behind. I think I did a really good restart to keep the lead into one, but uh, he just had too much momentum out of two and, and got me and tried to get him back on, this, on before the bricks, but uh, just wasn't enough. So, yeah, I, I felt like I did everything right, but it was just not enough this time. He tried to unleash the dragon of his <laughs> own. That's about as far as I think you can go coming off four with the white line with that yeah, attenuator. Yeah, it was pretty far far into pit lane, but uh, you know, IndyCar said that they don't rule that uh, at all. So 
he was well within the rules. So uh, fair play to Joseph, and I think you know he did everything to win that race, and that's what we have to do to win it. But isn't it potentially dangerous? I think it's, it's you know I think it was discussed in the off season. I think it might be a, a subject of discussion again this off season because. It's getting more and more extreme, and, and you know maybe we need to put something uh, you know in the ruling there to make sure it's safe for everyone. All four Chip Ganassi racing cars finished in the top seven, but of course they didn't win the race. So how do you look at this year's Indianapolis 500 from a team standpoint? I think we did another very strong month of May. I think we you know qualified on pole with Alex. We we were two corners from winning it with me. So. I think we have to be, be, be proud with that effort and that performance. Um, but of course, we're never going to be happy until we win. So we need to recover and regroup and try and do it again next year. Now, the good news is IndyCar is going off to Detroit, which was a very favorite spot for you. You got your first IndyCar victory at Detroit, but unfortunately that was on a different race course. This is going to be a new course in downtown Detroit. It's going to be new for everybody. So what are your thoughts heading to Detroit? I love going to Detroit. Like I said, I had my first podium there. I had my first win there. So it's a, definitely a, a favorite place of mine like, to go racing. Uh, but yeah, new track, new challenge. It's going to be interesting. I do feel very comfortable on street courses. So I feel like we, we should have a good chance uh, to, to, to go fight for a win there this weekend. So I'm very, very excited to go and try and, uh, try and win a race. Marcus Erickson, congratulations on your second place finish in the 107th Indianapolis 500. Although I know that you really wanted to win that race for the second year in a row. Good luck in Detroit. Good luck in the rest of the season. Thank you for joining us on Pit Pass Indy, presented by Penske Truck Rental. Thank you. Kyle Kirkwood survived the worst crash of the race that happened after Felix Rosenquist hit the wall and slid across the track. Kirkwood's Honda hit Erickson's car, sending a wheel over the safety fence in turn two and dangerously near the grandstands. Kirkwood's car slid upside down for several hundred yards before he was extricated by the safety team. Kirkwood was uninjured and joins me for this exclusive Pit Pass Indy by Penske Truck Rental interview. Joining us now is Kyle Kirkwood of Andretti Autosport. Kyle was involved in a very scary looking crash. He ended up upside down sliding a couple of hundred yards with sparks flying. How valuable was that having that arrow screen and the roll bar? I will, if it definitely saved my life with the addition of the roll bar and the halo, right? Um, I mean, I was safe in the car. Um, I had zero injuries. I'm absolutely fine at this moment. So it's a big testament to what IndyCar's done um, to make these cars absolutely as safe as they are. And um, so, yeah, if it was a different car without a roll hoop or a halo, uh, potentially might not be standing here. And I do have to ask you, before we started rolling here, why did you lift the visor? Because with all those sparks and everything flying, I would have probably thought it might be a little safer to have it down. Yeah, you're right. I, I don't know why I lifted it, to be honest. It was an, uh, a planned thing. I wasn't thinking, oh, I'm upside down at 200 miles per hour. Let me open my visor. That wasn't really a thought that went through my mind. I, I kind of assumed everything was over by then because I couldn't really tell that I was upside down. So I opened my visor and then I noticed I was still sliding and then I went into a bit of a shock where I forgot to shut it till I actually stopped. Um, so yeah, I, I couldn't tell you why. Did you have any injuries at all? Did you have, you know, bump knee, anything? Yeah, I, I banged both my knees, I think, on the steering column, but uh, it was 
no issues 20 minutes after after the incident. Um, so thankfully, uh, it, it's all good. But it had to be very frustrating because you were a fast driver for the month and you did have high hopes with an Andretti Autosport car of having a really good chance in the Indianapolis 500. So now that the month's over, how would you assess the month? I mean, I think we did a phenomenal job. We were um, we were fast all through the entire entire month. And uh, we didn't have the pace that we wanted in qualifying, but like Joseph, we were walking through the field in the race. And um, that second to last stint there, about 50 laps to go, we were, we were in second place when we came to the last stop. And I think that that's where we kind of should have came out in. And uh, it's unfortunate we were a little bit further back and got caught up in that incident, but we had a race winning car. And at, at the end of the day, I mean, it's Andretti's done a phenomenal job with, with their car. And obviously in race trim, we were, we were really quick. So uh, hats off to them. And from your point of view, with Felix not being able to, with the steering suspension being broken and not being able to control the car, what was it like from your point of view? Because you just saw it and there it was. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a few things that happened, right? Firstly, he, he hits the wall. I see him hit the wall. So I assume he's going to stay high in the fence. And that's typically what these cars do. They usually stay up there if you brush the wall and you're kind of up there for a moment. But the way he slapped the wall a second time actually broke his steering arm, shot him down to the bottom of the track. And from my point of view, I thought he drove it to the bottom of the track. I didn't know at that time that he was just a passenger to the car. Um, so it's unfortunate that... Obviously, you can't tell that driving from behind at 200 miles per hour, but it's unfortunate I didn't know that because what happened was is he probably just touched the brake, the wheel turned inwards or outwards, he spun around and collected me. It was unfortunate, too, that Santino was just in front of me, and I actually had to get on the brakes because it was either I was in a position to almost get clipped by Felix, which I did get clipped, or I was driving through the back of Santino. So uh, there's, I was kind of boxed in in that situation. So it's, it was just super unfortunate, to be honest. And you can't take away what we did in that race, though, driving to the front. Obviously, at the time, you were unaware of the wheel that went into the over the fence. But having seen the video of it, it's pretty scary. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I mean, you never like to see things like that. Um, us as drivers, we take the risk of having big incidents, right? Um, but the fans don't. It, so um, it was something that has never happened in IndyCar, the way it, it kind of came apart. And uh, I know IndyCar is going to take it very seriously to find a remedy to make sure that that never happens again. Well, Kyle Kirkwood, we're glad to see everything's okay with you and you'll be off to Detroit with the rest of us. Congratulations on getting through the month of May at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Good luck the rest of the season with Andretti Autosport. And thank you for joining us today on Pit Pass Indy, presented by Penske Truck Rental. Thank you. Felix Rosenquist led 33 laps in the Indianapolis 500 before he was involved in that crash on lap 185. Let's catch up with Rosenquist on this Pit Pass Indy interview. Joining us now on Pit Pass Indy, presented by Penske Truck Rental, is Felix Rosenquist, who had one of the dominant cars in the 107th Indianapolis 500. Unfortunately, didn't end up very well. Once you hit the wall in turn one, broke the steering suspension, and then created a pretty much a multi-car crash. What happened from your point of view? Uh, yeah, I, I got passed by Joseph late into turn one. I actually didn't think he would go for it. I thought he would back out and. At that point, you're so committed to the corner, and you know, eventually he he went for it, and I had to 
hit the brake and once he got in front of me, it just chopped all the air off my front wing and I, I started pushing up in the gray and it was really close to save it, but it was, yeah, it was, yeah, really, really unfortunate that I couldn't get away with it. And unfortunately, Kyle's end, uh, race ended because of it as well. So, yeah, it is what it is, but uh, I'm happy everyone's okay. And then when Kyle hit you, how much of that did you feel? Was that a one of the hardest jolts you felt from another race car? No, honestly, I could barely feel it. Like, it wasn't a very big impact. Uh, I think just the way he hit my tire, just kind of launched his car. I mean, I've been on that side of the incident before at Pocono when, when that happened with the Sato. So, uh, yeah, at, the, at that point, you can't control. Like, he didn't do anything wrong, and it was just bad luck for him. So I'm just happy he's okay, and all the spectators are okay. And, um, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll uh, regroup and uh, come back stronger. Before that, though, you looked like a potential winner of that race. You had a very good car. So when something like that happens, how crushing is it for a race driver? I mean, it's probably one of the hardest defeats for me in my career. I'm not going to lie. It's a tough one to swallow, but, you know, I think we just have to be proud of what we achieved as a team. I think everyone was just you know, on, on their A game the whole month, including all the other three cars. And we, we work together really strongly. And uh, I think there's, you know, there's a lot of po positive notes uh, to take away. So, I mean, it, it's crushing, but there's also time to, to move on. And, uh, and just, you know, we have Detroit coming up, so it's kind of nice to just... Speaking of moving on, Detroit is coming up, but it's a different Detroit. It's a different race course. It's going to be different for everybody. But what's your viewpoint on racing the streets of downtown Detroit rather than at Belle Isle? I think it's a good step. It's uh, it's probably what the event and IndyCar needs. You know, it's a bit more of a you know official uh, stamp to it being downtown. I think it's a beautiful scenery with a with a river in the in the backdrop and um, long straightaway, which probably creates good racing. So. Yeah, let's see. It's new for everyone, so it's kind of a fun challenge for the teams and engineers as well. Um, I'm sure we'll be strong and we'll, we'll, we're ready to, to get going again. But one thing's for sure, Aero McLaren had a really good month of May, and they are getting closer to really being a dominant team in the series. How happy are you to know that you've played a very good role in that? Oh, as I said, I, I'm, I'm super proud how everyone has just come together. You know, it, it's been fantastic to have Tony as well on the team. I think he, he was part of that, you know, the, the whole group gelling between the four cars. And uh, yeah, I feel like we, me on, especially on the six car side, we just kind of went with our gut feeling the whole month and it ended up being, you know, creating a very good car, both in qualifying and the race. So we'll, you know, we'll take that with us and, and keep going on that wave of, of momentum we had and just uh, forget all about this. Felix Rosenquist of Aero McLaren, congratulations on what you were able to do while you were out there leading all those laps in the Indianapolis 500. Good luck at Detroit and thank you for joining us today on Pit Pass Indy presented by Penske Truck Rental. Thank you very much. Renus VK of Ed Carpenter Racing started second and led 24 laps. He was a leading contender in the race before he was involved in a crash on pit lane with pole winner Alex Pillow that was a major determining point at the midway point of the race. Pillow had to restart the race 28th but fought his way back to a fourth place finish. VK finished 10th and joins me for this Pit Pass Indy interview. 
Joining us now is Renus VK, driver of the number 21 Chevrolet at Ed Carpenter Racing. Renus, you went into the 107th Indianapolis 500 with high hopes of a great finish. You were starting in the middle of row one. You were contending there for a while. Unfortunately, it all came unraveled during the pit stop incident that you had with Alex Pillow. What was your side of what happened? Um, so, well, we all know pit lane is as much of a race as, uh, as this out on the track. So, you know, uh, there was cars on the outside. Of course, uh, Alex, who I was racing in pit lane coming, uh, coming out of the box and I went to power, just spun the wheels a bit too much and got too sideways to actually catch it. You know, I, I got all the way to opposite lock and unfortunately Alex was there, you know, right where the car went. So. Very unfortunate and uh, not something I, I thought would happen before the race. And then from that point forward, it put you way back into the field. And what was the rest of the race like for you? A struggle? I mean, we had a pretty good race afterwards. We were P28 and about to be lapped. And at one point, I was about 10 mile an hour faster than, uh, than other guys. So, uh, you know, I, I get back to, to a top 10 without uh, yellows at that point. So, I mean, we, we fought through the field, got back around around 20 seconds to any, everyone uh, just on my own. So, I mean, team did a great job of strategy, but also we just had incredible pace and moved through the field pretty fast. Joseph Newgarden told me earlier that with the pace running green for the first 92 laps, that that really helped the faster cars race through the field. Was that the same in your situation? Um, yeah, you know, the, the, the pace kind of goes down, so um, you can follow closer because there's just less wind. I mean, uh, you know, there's a difference when you're doing 220 against 224 or uh, 214. So you can feel the difference there, and it's, um, yeah, it's definitely easier to move through if you need to. You've done a very good job at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway in qualifications. have had some difficulties in the race. How important is that for you to work on? I mean, it's, it's the most important race in the calendar, and uh, you know, one single mistake puts you out of contention. So, um, I mean, I learned so much this year. Of course, I did not get far last year, but I mean, I had 200 laps and I raced hard, had a few, few restarts, and um, you know, I have so much more experience than I had last year. And if you had a chance to talk to Alex or have you two communicated, because he had some fairly fighting criticism of what happened, but... I mean, I came to him right after the race and I apologized and told him what happened and he was very understanding and, you know, it was really like a few words and that's it. So, uh, he knows we're all racing, we're at the edge of what we can do. And that means sometimes you go over it and I'm not the only one that that uh, that had a, you know, a mishap in the race. And now it's off to Detroit, which is gonna be a new circuit for everybody in the IndyCar series. How excited are you about going to Detroit? I'm very excited. It's a new track. It's, uh, you know, new for everyone. So, um, yeah, we'll see how that goes. Hopefully, um, hopefully the track is, is perfect to start with and um, it's definitely great to race, uh, race around the Chevy buildings. Renus VK of Ed Carpenter Racing. Good luck the rest of the season in the NTT IndyCar Series, and thank you for joining us on Pit Pass Indy, presented by Penske Truck Rental. Thank you.
Shadow Award of Errol McLaren led the most laps in the Indianapolis 500 with 39. He was on track to fight it out for the win at the end, but he was pinched inside the third turn by Erickson and crashed on lap 192. Here are a few thoughts from Award on his race and that incident. The chances of me getting another run like that were going to be very slim. Like, when you're third in line, you don't get the runs to get the guy in second. Only first two could be exchanging. So when I had the run, and it was a, it was a good enough run to get them to get it done. Uh, it really was. Like, I was more than alongside him going into the corner, and just my second nature was go along with the pinch, right? I mean, it, I, I didn't want to blatantly take him out. Um, but, uh, yeah, for sure, you know, in a, in a way, I've... In, that, in those type of situations, you just, you got to think for yourself, you know. No, so we went in flat, and then he started to pinch me, and my reaction was, well, don't hit him. So I kept going lower, and before I knew it, he just kept pinching a lot more aggressively, and by that time, I got off the throttle to not crash. Yeah, like, it was it was to not take him out, for sure. Um, no, my problem was that whenever I was getting off of the throttle, I was already on the apron. Yeah, like the, the aprons what spat me out. Like there was, yeah, I just, you know, the room that I gave him wasn't reciprocated, I guess. Oh, I'd hold my line. Uh, he'll go make friends with the wall. No, if it, I mean, if I, if I was, if I wanted to be a dick about it, I would have just stayed there and he would have done it to, to himself. I'm glad the race didn't end in a yellow. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I thought the last restart was an absolute joke. After I had everybody lined up perfectly in my restart, and apparently I was going too slow. Um, so, yeah, so if they're going to call me off, then the other one shouldn't have been even, even close to being a green. Um, but I think the rest of it is... Uh, Joseph did exactly what he should have, being in the lead, and uh, I think that's it. I don't know if I. I oh no, it's a, it's a very special event. I know mine will come. Thanks, dude. Uh, I was actually having troubles with it. At the start of the race was probably my happiest, and then I just kept going looser and looser. So for me, it was a, a tough race to hang on to, but I just. I never gave up on it. And also after you had, had your thing, were you surprised when Canapino then? Oh no, no, I mean, I, I, I don't need, I think he like didn't have brakes. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. no. Did, I, but did you know he didn't have uh, I, did, I didn't. I didn't know that, but I, I for sure knew something was wrong with his car. He wouldn't blatantly do that. Yeah. And now let's catch up with the driver who was named 2023 Indianapolis 500 Rookie of the Year, Benjamin Peterson of AJ Foyt Racing. Joining us now on Pit Pass Indy, presented by Penske Truck Rentals, Benjamin Peterson who was the fastest rookie to make the Indianapolis 500 starting lineup, and a rookie who had a pretty good race until incident at the end that set up the final red flag. How would you look at your first Indianapolis 500, and just how important was it? Was it more than you expected? Yeah, it was It was a tremendous month. Um, you know, we achieved so many great things. We had a lot of natural speed. Um, fastest rookie ever for, for one lap average. Um, made it to the fast 12 with both cars. 
just super special to drive for for such a special team as well, AJ Foyt Racing at this racetrack. And um, yeah, un unfortunately got hit in the in the last stint, which was completely out of our control. But um, regardless, a, a tremendous month. And the fact that both you and Santino Ferrucci had great months at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, Santino finishing third in the race. It was just what the team needed after the month that AJ Foyt and Larry Foyt had had with the passing of Lucy Foyt, AJ's wife and Larry's mother. Yeah, it was um, very, very special to be a part of, of helping deliver such a, a great result for AJ uh, throughout the whole month. So just seeing him smile and, and be in positive spirits is just, uh, you know, it, it means a lot. And it's obviously been a tough time, like you say, with the passing of Lucy and it's just uh, nice to be able to to help give back on the team with performance, and you know that's that's where his heart and soul is. Now they always say that you don't know what the turbulence is like at the start of the race until you've experienced it. Was it more than you expected, or, or were you properly prepared to understand what it was going to be like in the opening laps? I felt very prepared. I would say obviously I learned a lot of things in the race, being my first ever Indy 500. Um, you know. I, I was kind of amazed at how wide we could still go um, on the opening lap, just because we've never run that high the the whole you know previous in the month. So um, yeah, all great things that I learned for for in the future, and, and can't wait till next year. And with the month of May that uh, just passed, as successful as it was for you, can that help boost you for the rest of the season? Absolutely. I know we've we've really been improving our car on the on the road courses. Our last uh, race on road course at the GMR Grand Prix, we, we were very quick. Um, I think we had the eighth fastest race race lap time, so inside the top ten. And um, for us, that's that's a huge accomplishment. And yeah, looking forward to Detroit next, which is a, a new track for us all. And also the incident at the end, from your point of view, what happened? Yeah, obviously there there was a, a couple of cars that got collected ahead of me um, on the front straight, which is it's never nice to see, especially because it was right by the attenuator at, at such high speeds. And uh, yeah, obviously I had to check up, otherwise I was going to run right into them. And I think Graham just wasn't simply able to see what was happening in front of my car because he was right behind me. And uh, when we checked up, I, I just don't think he, he realized that, you know, we were checking up and he did his best job to try and avoid me, but unfortunately hit me and, and that ended both of our races. So, um, yeah, it was all caused from ahead of us and yeah, not, not so much to, to say. Benjamin Peterson of AJ Foyt Racing, congratulations on what was a pretty successful Indianapolis 500 for a rookie. And thank you for joining us today on Pit Pass Indy presented by Penske Truck Rental. Thank you. We'll be right back to Pit Pass Indy after this short break. Pit Pass Moto, sponsored by Moto America, is the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. From candid interviews with the top names in racing to providing insights into the trends and trendsetters driving the motorcycle industry, we have you covered. New episodes are available every Thursday at pitpassmoto.com and on your favorite podcast app. Right on. Hi, I'm Scott McLaughlin, driver of the number three Team Penske Chevy, and you're listening to Pit Pass Indy, presented by Penske Truck Rental. Welcome back to this Indianapolis 500 edition of Pit Pass Indy, presented by Penske Truck Rental. 
Let's catch up with the driver who led us into this segment, Scott McLaughlin of Team Penske, who finished 14th. Joining us now on Pit Pass, Cindy presented by Penske Truck Rental, the driver of the number three Chevrolet at Team Penske, Scott McLaughlin. Scott, you weren't able to win the Indianapolis 500, but Joseph Newgarden, your teammate, did. As Roger Penske always says, when one wins, we all win. So how do you feel after the race? Oh, absolutely. Look, stoked for Joseph and, and something 12 years is a long time, mate, trying for him to, to try and win this race. So stoked for him. Um, obviously, from my own side, you know, I'm pretty gutted. My race wasn't the best. Then you wait a year for this race, but unfortunately, it wasn't the greatest for me. So it was up and down like a yo-yo. Um, and yeah, it is what it is, but you know, we'll build stronger. One of the team won, so that's good for the team. It's great camaraderie for everyone, and hopefully we can just have a good second half of the year. Did you feel more confident and more comfortable this year in the Indianapolis 500 since it was your third attempt? Yeah, I felt I felt good. I wasn't I wasn't uh, that happy with the car, yeah. but I was um, yeah, in a good spot you know, emotionally and mentally for the race, ready to go. Um, but it, yeah, ultimately just cars didn't fall our way, man. It was just, it was just like the restarts and I would gain spots, I'd lose spots and just found myself in the same spot I really started the race in. So it's tough. What did you say to Joseph after he won the race? Oh, just, just pumped for him, man. Like, honestly, it's like if anyone was going to win, like, I'm so stoked it was him out of, if it wasn't me, you know. Um, he's uh, a guy that's worked very hard and, and um, yeah, I, 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 I'd hate to think what he would have felt if he lost this one because I think it would have been it would have been really bad. Now I hate to bring this up, but Will Powers won in Indy 500. Now yep. Joseph Newgarden's won in Indy 500. Yeah. Now you need to win in Indy 500. Yep. Well, that's so how much of a motivator is that? A huge motivator. But I just got to remember as well my development. You know, I'm, this is my third Indy 500. You know, that was Joseph's 12th. So I've got time. I, you know, I don't have a huge amount of time, but at the same time, I. Believe I've got the I've got what I what it takes to win it. It's just a matter of the cards falling in my way. In the fact that Roger Penske got his record-extending 19th Indianapolis 500 victory, yep. his first since he bought the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So in a lot of ways, you got to really feel good about the team owner. Um, super super pumped for Roger. I mean, he works so hard and and uh, and and such a good leader of our, of our team and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and IndyCar and very excited for him and and uh, Joseph. I'll get number 20 now. <laughs> Scott McLaughlin, driver of the number three Pennzoil Chevrolet in the 107th Indianapolis 500. Congratulations and good luck going to Detroit and good luck in the NTT IndyCar Series season. And thank you for joining us on Hit Pass Indy, thank presented you. by Penske Truck Rental. <laughs> thank you, mate. That's a, that's a mouthful on it. Two-time Indianapolis 500 winner Takuma Sato finished seventh for Chip Ganassi Racing as all four Chip Ganassi Racing cars finished in the top seven. We caught up with Sato on the red carpet at the Indianapolis 500 victory celebration at the JW Marriott Hotel in Indianapolis Monday night for this Pit Pass Indy presented by Penske Truck Rental exclusive interview. Joining us now on Pit Pass Indy, presented by Penske Truck Rental, is the seventh place finisher of the 107th Indianapolis 500, two-time Indy 500 winning driver, Takuma Sato of Tokyo. All four Chip Ganassi racing drivers ended up in the top seven. Unfortunately, none of the four were able to win the race. 
So how do you look at that? Everybody says the Indy 500 is one winner and everybody else goes home disappointed. How would you look at the total overall effort? It just shows how difficult to win this race and how privileged to win this race. And that's why I think uh, everybody tries so hard. Um, as you said, uh, Chip Ganassi Racing, all four cars finishing really strong, which by any of us it could take a chance of winning. Obviously, at that moment, you know, Marcus was uh, the most favorite driver yesterday, and he did a fantastic job. But just the way it was on, on the timing, restart, all the thing, it just, uh, we know, was picked on different way. What was your race like? What were some of the highlights? What were some of the moments that weren't so highlights? Well, uh, you know, almost long, I think it was a fantastic experience, you know, the, the going race with Chip Ganassi Racing. But of course, uh, yesterday on my specific race was a little bit of sweet. Uh, we, we lost a little bit of age or moment, you know, had a moment and then uh, lost the uh, uh, only one little things that made it so difficult to back up. So uh, in the end, I come back, um, I think we come back and really strong and finishing on just behind uh, the Dixie and my teammate and six and seven. So uh, all in all, it was bittersweet, but um, we wish we could have finished a little higher than that. Were you surprised that they threw the red flag with as few laps that were left in the race? Um, we always know the all intention, the IndyCar, to finishing under the green, which I um, I respect that. Um, all the circumstances always challenging, but uh, you know the fans are obviously very excited to see the uh, that the, we go flattening out to going to the checkout flag. So uh, it was amazing to finish. You certainly proved you're as fast as ever at the Indianapolis 500, and I'm sure you're already working on a deal to return for. 2024. So how does that stand? Well, we will see. We wait and see. But um, certainly, to 2023, um, it was a promising, and uh, 24 will be nice to to be back. And uh, it's always a pleasure to uh, to come back IMS. Takuma Sato, Chip Ganassi Racing. Congratulations on another top 10 finish in the 107th Indianapolis 500. And thank you for joining us today on Pit Pass Indy, presented by Penske Truck Rental. Thank you. Graham Rahal of Rahal Letterman Lanigan Racing had an Indianapolis 500 he would like to forget. He was bumped out of the starting lineup during qualifications, but ended up taking over the number 24 Chevrolet at Cusick Motorsports and Dreyer and Reinbold Racing after its driver, Stefan Wilson, was injured in a crash on Monday, May 22nd. After getting the command to start engines on race day, the battery on Ray Hall's car failed. He had to be wheeled off the race course, and when the green flag waved, Ray Hall's car was still on pit lane. He returned to the race two laps down and ran faster than some of the top contenders. But Ray Hall's race would come to an end when he was involved in a crash on the restart on lap 196. Here are some thoughts from Ray Hall on his difficult month. Yeah, yeah, you know, I think um, definitely a crazy couple of weeks there. Uh, definitely a month of May that I would, you know, even with the Grand Prix, would like to forget. You know, it, it's, uh, it's disappointing yesterday to not be able to uh, even get a real shot at it, you know, because actually once we got running, I think people saw, like, we ran with the lead pack comfortably for 100-something laps, you know. So to not get, get a chance at... Uh, I mean, hell, I ran with Joseph, I ran with Pato, I ran with Felix, I ran with Alex, I ran with the other Alex. I, I mean, you know, and so to, you knew you could be there and not get the chance was tough, but at the same time, I blame nobody. I think 
these things happen. I thought Brian Reinbold, uh, Dennis is a pro. I mean, I really think that, like their team, uh, I was very impressed with their preparation and everything else. Uh, unfortunately, these things happen, and it was super disappointing for everybody to not, not get a shot at it. It's clearly becoming a different era, you know, in, in how people race. I don't know, you know, I know what Stingray said about me, but yeah, no, and I talked to him. I said, dude, like, I'm, I was ahead of you. Like, I don't know what you're yeah. complaining about, you know, I just don't get that. But, but the mentality of what he tried to do is part of the thing, and I don't blame him. He's inexperienced, he's a young guy. We don't race on enough ovals for these guys to get seasoned, number one. Number two, Indy race is different than all the others. That's factual. The marbling and everything else that you get at Indy is not like Iowa. It's not like even Texas. It's, it's a unique breed. And so, uh, unfortunately, a lot of these guys don't have the experience yet. Uh, but also, you know, look, I think the mentality is changing. You know, I think the younger drivers are purely more aggressive. They're trained to not think about the consequence as much. I mean, you see this worldwide with younger drivers. They, they don't think about the consequence, you know, like a, a Tony Kanaan would have trained me or some of the other guys did. Um, so unfortunately, it's becoming a, a sport that certainly rewards the brave more than the thinker. And that's ultimately a thinker and, jo and Joseph won. What did you think of the whole red flag situation in the last 15 months? You know, I see both sides of it. Uh, I'm not okay with, there's a very fine line between crossing entertainment and tradition. And the real value of the Indy 500 is a 500 mile race. Look, you know, in hindsight, looking back at it, I do agree that the rat last red probably should not have been called uh, because it was too late. Yeah. It was, it was too late. The other two I was okay with personally. But I do think that there is a, again, like I just said, I mean, the year that I finished third here in 2020 was the same scenario as, as yesterday. Same scenario. And it never went red. Yeah. So all I would say is not to, to talk against the series and that, but I think consistency is key so that everybody is prepared and understand. And we've seen in the last few years a few different cases, a few different end results. Hell, we saw Texas this year different case, different result, right? So we, we just need consistency. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, in, in the case of what happened, if you were Marcus Erickson, you are, pardon you is the word, but you are, and sorry, you know, uh, if I were Joseph in that position, I was absolutely, I was celebrating before the restart even happened because if you're Marcus, it's over. There's no way, and he did. As I told him last night, there's nothing he could have done different on the restart, except for the fact he almost got too good of a restart, you know. And he get, you know, the draft that Joseph had was mega. But at the end of the day, yeah, I mean, if it were me, I'd probably be pretty upset too. I, but Marcus can sleep well at night knowing he already has one. What was the issue on the grid? The battery. The battery. Bad, you know, a faulty battery, and unfortunately, you know, I knew right away because when he started, I put it in gear to go to launch. The minute I put it in gear, the first time, everything shut off dash, all lights, all everything. So I knew it was battery. They, they plugged in, they thought they kind of rebooted something. We tried to start again, went to launch, same thing. I think all the fans, I heard them all roar, they all thought I stalled it. No, the thing shut off again and, I, and, and then it was stuck in gear because I had no power, yeah. right? So that was uh, certainly, it was a bummer, man. You know, to, to not, not even get going is. At that point, did you just think, what next? You know, I didn't really know what to think. It was hard in the moment. It's still frustrating. 
because I was very, very excited for the opportunity. And as I said a second ago, once we got in the race, we were two laps down, but once we got in the race, we ran with those guys the whole freaking time. We got the car better too. You know, when I first got behind Pelot, I had a lot of understeer and this idea, but we got the car better and we legitimately ran with the leaders for the whole race. But we needed the yellows, we got one of them. We needed another one at the right time, it never happened, so that was it. 100% truth. I think had the 15 car made the race, I was very happy with my race car there. I think we would have run very well with that car too. So honestly, I mean, the car I left Thursday night with on the 15 side, hell, I had several drivers, several drivers from big teams come up to me like, dude, you blew by me, like, surprised. Just a shame, you know, but it's, uh, look, we're gonna come back determined, you know, Sunday night, obviously we had the, the largest defeat of my career, but Monday morning we were already in meetings about next year. Uh, and I think there's a, there's always been a determination there, but there's a whole different level of it now within the organization and everything else. And I'd be very, very, I'd be more than shocked if we came back in the same position that we were in. Thank you. And finally, let's close the show with Indianapolis Motor Speedway owner and the winning car owner of this year's Indianapolis 500, Roger Penske. Pit Pass Indy presented by Penske Truck Rental and two other reporters were part of a group interview with Penske the day after the race. Okay, it was some crowd now. Yeah, yeah. And it was real. Well, you know, I'm up on the very top of the uh, pagoda, and you know, I have a screen up there that has all the times of every car, each lap. Then I, I have the have the TV, and then I just have a radio which I can't talk on. You follow? So you're just listening. And I'm just I'm going from two, three, or or twelve mm -hmm. back and forth, just listening to where we are. But it's, uh, you know, you have your own idea of what I would have done in a situation, maybe with one of the cars, depending on where they were, you know, on the track. But uh, what I heard Jim say, and I, we talked about it earlier, that, that we had to take our time. But what, what they were really, he said, we're on plan at, at, at 100 laps. You know, they were actually ahead of where they thought they, where they wanted to yeah. be. And, uh, you know, they were sitting there, you know, saving fuel to be, so they could be in the right window for, which was right on. In the end, of course, you know, it was amazing when you think about all the things that happened. You didn't have a wreck on the front straight away. It would have been different. I mean, it's a crazy place. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we'll take what we can get. But, you know, it's rewarding to, that's why we're here to race. You know, the, owning the tracks is a, something that we've done over the years. And when Tony came, I guess I didn't realize uh, when I said yes, you know, what I was really <laughs> signing up for. But when we signed up for it, we said, let's make it better and uh, make it a place where everybody wants to come and have fun. I think the demographics and so many kids I saw here with their families. And I stood out at turn three here earlier in the week and watched those cars go into turn three at 240 miles an hour. And, and to think you'd go out there for 45 bucks with yeah. your kids and sit there and watch it. It cost me more to go to a movie in Detroit <laughs> than yeah. out there. So it's this is what we got to do. But it's it's a generational. People come here. They want to keep their tickets. And if we can make it fun and, and exciting as we did, uh, it was yesterday at the end. There was no, not many people left. Yeah. It was amazing when you looked at it. There wasn't many people left. Yeah. 
the crowd that was here really shows that this was what you envisioned when you bought this place and with proper promotion and everything you can fill this place up and you did yesterday i wouldn't i don't want to take any credit we're filling it up i think what we're doing is trying to take a product that was it was taking 106 years to to build uh, into what it is and all we're trying to do is sustain it and bring it up to the current standards from the standpoint of expectations whether it's you as a kid or a family or what you are whether it's whatever we have so uh, that's how we run our business yeah. but you always look for increases so uh, the challenge is to not only have as many here next year but maybe a little bit more so is that what you will expect uh, out of the staff that runs I think what we have to do is look at uh, we had a helicopter Every half hour from 7.30, I had a, have a helicopter that went around taking pictures so we could sit down as a team and look at just exactly how the place filled up and then how it how it, it ends up uh, closing it so we can look at where we have pinch points. That's the most important thing is to make it easier to get in, easier to get out. And I think over in the snake pit, there's some things we can do where we, people can sit on the mounds. I think the... The screens we had, we had, we had two screens in the back on the back straightaway were temporary. <clears throat> I'm going to put a big screen on the back of the grandstands coming off of four, a big one. So when you're on those mounds, mm-hmm. you can. those are the things, yeah. just like we redid the pylon, the screen, those are the things that we have to do. And that's only going to make it a better experience, and that's going to grow it. When you say, Roger, that you didn't realize kind of what you were getting into when you bought it from Tony. Was that because of what happened with the COVID and the pandemic, or was it because this place just turned out to be even well, more of a woman than you thought? Well, I, I think COVID was, uh, okay. you know, a, a shock, really, when it happened. But, uh, you know, fortunately, you know, we were able to work our way through that without uh, devastation from the standpoint of the company or the track. But uh, I just think the ability to get everything done we want to get done. Number one, you know, to to build the team which we have under Mark and Doug Bowles and the whole group. I mean, there there you could just see the synchronization this year, and maybe you guys see it. Maybe hopefully that we're getting better. Mm-hmm. And it's not where we need to be, mm-hmm. but on the other hand, uh, it's like we're in the Super Bowl. I remember getting with Mitch Alblom. Sat down and I said, "What do we need to do? You know, to to be sure that the the media." Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't have a team in anyway. How can we make the Super Bowl in Detroit better? I mean, that's yeah. what we're trying to do here. So that's that's where I am. I mean, yeah. you know, I love to race, and uh, you know, it's uh, it's amazing when you think about uh, 19 wins. Uh, you know, everyone is different, and you don't know how you got there. Yeah. And you go back and say, oh, I don't want to go back and think about the other ones. You got to think about the next one. And I think yeah. the, the ability for us to execute in the way they did was, you know, was amazing. But Look, it's uh, we have an asset here, and we have the, the the governor, you know, the mayor, the town of Speedway, the whole uh, uh, Senate, and the House, and the state is here behind us. You, where do you find that? I mean, we don't have that anywhere. I think in Detroit. Yeah. Quite honestly, what Bud's doing there, when you go there next week, you'll see the same type of commitment, but in a much more, much smaller, smaller situation. Mm-hmm. Think about. Last week, the, the mayor and the head of the city council in Detroit went on in front of the gym, took the street signs down, took the 25-mile-an-hour signs up, put 200 up. So I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's, yeah. the, that's the little things that 
that kind of relationship makes it happen, and, and we have that here. I, I think you need to read the rule book. It says they'll do anything they can to finish the race under green. And number yeah. one, I've never been since we took over the track ever in race control. Yeah. So I yeah, have yeah. no there's, no impact on that at all. And yeah. uh, I think I hope people For realize some reason there's that. control. Yeah. I mean, you were on the 11th floor, so <laughs> race control's on two. So yeah. Well. yeah. <laughs> Look, I, I I'm, I'm smart enough to realize that uh, we got to win it squarely and fairly. And uh, hey, we could have finished second. We could have finished fifth. Who knows? Right. I mean, right. uh, but hey, that's that's why people are here. How yeah. many times is how many we've been beaten on the last lap? Right. Right. Really, a couple times, and right. we look at Hornish and yeah. on, you know on the yeah. last lap. But for then, look at Andretti. Yeah, think right. about it. I mean, right. where he'd be today, he'd have right. a win. Right. So. But, I mean, taking you completely out of it, is that just something yeah. that, like you like said, racing like, needs. like racing yeah. needs that IndyCar needs? That well, this is what the Indy 500 now needs. This is that was our green white checker, I guess. We didn't have a green white. We just had a checker. <laughs> a green, <laughs> yeah, green checker. And, and yeah. you didn't have to add extra laps. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that would have been that might have been controversial. Added extra laughs, but uh, hey, the good news is that uh, we didn't have a real trouble with that tire going out. I mean, I saw it hit when it went out, I saw we were okay, but uh, uh, I talked to the Delara guys today, we're going to look at that. But I guess the sheer when the car was sitting and that car went over it, just that sheer force mm-hmm. tore that tether because we have tethers on those. I've never seen a wheel come off so that. That to me was the, probably. Uh, the scariest thing we got to fix that. Yeah. We got to fix that so that doesn't uh, happen again. Is that well, I mean, there, I, I would say this: the, the technical guy should look at it. Uh, you know, I think the speed here, you with me, at, at a couple yeah. of hundred when you hit it versus, yeah. you know, eighty or ninety or whatever it might be. But uh, that was uh, that was a pinch point, you yeah. know, on, on the race. You've had a lot of celebrations here, but you look like you were pretty exuberant when you pumped that fist in the air after you took the checkered flag. Was that as well, after excited you, as you've After you've been, been on your on your face for three or four years qualifying here, I can tell you, <laughs> it was nice to get up. And, Did it? Well, you know, I think the you know the key the key thing is that uh, you know we we won nine races last year, mm-hmm. won the championship. And we qualified in the back half of the field. No. Yeah. And then we come back here again this year, and we worked so hard. And look, there's guys who've got better ideas than we do. I mean, you got to hand it to them. The cars are legal. I'm sure, you know, Rocket and these guys are not going to let that happen. We don't want it to happen. And uh, we just have to figure out how to find out what the magic so we can be up front at the beginning. But yeah. look, we gotta t- you got to take the good and the bad. Yeah. You follow me? You got to eat crow when you got to eat crow. So <laughs> I'm not, uh, you know, I've got good days and bad days, but I think the good news is that, you know, we're the same team whether we win or whether we lose, and that's the most important thing. Yeah. You know, we're committed. Yeah. This is this time and energy. Well, I guess, you know, I looked at it and, you know, I was, I was thinking, you know, what was going to be the ending because I saw I knew exactly what was going to happen. You need to be positioned the right way. Now, on the other hand, you know, you know, the lead car could sometimes keep the lead, but as it was, uh, it was, it happened so fast, you know, you, you can't even reflect, I can't even reflect on it with you. It was yeah. just, I was like a spectator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Waiting to see yeah. what happened. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it was, uh, uh, in fact, when the, when the first red flag went, and then when he got passed because of the race start, mm, yeah. I said, well, day's over. Yeah. And then, you know, bang, there's another one. 
and he has a chance to go again, and he executed. So yeah. I was a spectator. The, the, the sense of relief that Joseph had was oh. just enormous. How relieved are you for Joseph that he well, doesn't have I mean, to go through he, that anymore? He is, uh, you guys know him. You, you can compare him to every other driver here. I say that he's he is so committed you know, to the game himself, himself personally, and what he does for us with our sponsors is amazing. I mean, there's, there's oh, great job. Thank you. Talk to you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he's he's the uh, he's a hundred percent all the way around, and uh, it was something that he just wondered why that he could never. I didn't know if he didn't feel good in his car over these years, but we didn't give him the best car sometimes. So I'd have to say some of it was us. Mm-hmm. But once you can see, once he has can smell it and feel it. It's going to be tough to beat. I mean, he was either going to drive it over the top of the stands or win the race yesterday. But yeah. I did. Sam Hanks, of course, I knew Sam well, and uh, it's, it's uh, and Tony. What a great day for mm-hmm. him. That that probably was something pretty special, you know, from the standpoint of uh, of the of the month and uh, uh, that he is uh, going to hang it up. But uh, been a real asset to the sport. And I remember, you know, when he was in Detroit. Uh, he got hurt over there. I remember I got to him. We took him to the Williams back, back here, I think. But uh, So we go way back. From a business standpoint, to see every seat full like it was yesterday, I know you mentioned in one of my interviews that, you know, when you met with the bank to buy this place, it was on the premise there would be 300,000 uh, people and then COVID. From that, to be able to have this... What are your thoughts on Bruce? No risk, no no risk, no reward, right? So, (laughs) no, it was uh, it was great. But you know, I think the 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 ticket sales. You know, we had we could have another twenty five suites here now. I mean, so the corporate interest is more than ever Mm -hmm. that we've ever seen. And then this this generational. I keep saying that people want to be here and their kids want to come and, and then building the remember we didn't have the snake pit for for a year building that back now we're going to make that even better i think for experience but no it was uh look that's how business is you got some good years and bad years i had a bad year to start which we didn't count on yeah yeah we're yeah we're right there i mean you, you depending you put people in the stands or you put people in the grounds i mean it's a we answer to see what the walk-up was but you know we were about six or eight thousand ahead of last year which yeah. is a big number when you start to think how many you have mm-hmm. so uh and i don't know what the walk-up was yesterday but uh, no it's 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 a it's a big number wow. it's a big number Kyle Hoyer said he may try to talk you into adding more grandstands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Look, we need to. We got a couple. There's a places here that we can pick up some of the scrim, take it off. So we got a few seats we could. Mm-hmm. If, if we had a big surge overnight, we could probably take this. Yeah, we could take it some of the off. Screens yeah, off. Okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So some we, places that where we put the scrim, we have it up here coming off a of four mm-hmm. one down here. Yeah. But we'll we'll continue to open that up now. But early on, we didn't have that people. And that puts a checkered flag on this Indianapolis 500 edition of Pit Pass Indy presented by Penske Truck Rental. We want to thank our guest, Indianapolis 500 winning driver Joseph Newgarden of Team Penske, his father Joey Newgarden, Team Penske president Tim Sendrick, Team Penske IndyCar team manager Kyle Moyer, also second place finisher Marcus Erickson of Chip Ganassi Racing, Kyle Kirkwood of Andretti Autosport, Felix Rosenquist of Aero McLaren, Renus VK of Ed Carpenter Racing, Pato Award of Errol McLaren, 
Benjamin Peterson of AJ Foyt Racing, Scott McLaughlin of Team Penske, Takuma Sato of Chip Ganassi Racing, Graham Rahal, and Indianapolis Motor Speedway owner Roger Penske, the winningest team owner in Indianapolis 500 history with 19 wins for joining us on today's podcast. Along with loyal listeners like you, our guests help make Pit Pass Indy presented by Penske Truck Rental, your path to victory lane for all things IndyCar. And because of our guests and listeners, Pit Pass Indy presented by Penske Truck Rental is proud to be the winner of the best podcast by the National Motorsports Press Association. For more IndyCar coverage, follow me at Twitter at Bruce Martin, one word, uppercase B, uppercase M, underscore 500. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thanks to our production team. Executive producers are Bridget Coyne and Gerardo Orlando. Recordings and edits were done by me, Bruce Martin, and final mixing was done by Dave Douglas. Learn more at evergreenpodcast.com. Until next time, be sure to keep it out of the wall. Get ready, race fans, because the ultimate NASCAR experience is about to hit the airwaves. Welcome to Pit Pass NASCAR, the podcast that takes you deep into the heart-pounding world of NASCAR racing. Join us each week as we bring you closer to the NASCAR action with exclusive interviews and all the news and rumors you need with your favorite drivers, team members, and industry insiders. So whether you're a fan of super speedways, short ovals, or road racing, or you've just watched Talladega Nights, Pit Pass NASCAR is the podcast you've been waiting for. Get ready to fuel your passion for NASCAR like never before. Subscribe now to Pit Pass NASCAR on your favorite podcast platform or head to evergreenpodcast.com and get ready to join us. Launching in the fall on Evergreen Podcast Network. Follow us on social media at pitpass underscore NASCAR to stay up to date with everything you need to know about the podcast.